This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi guys and welcome back to your weekly Stoke City podcast every step along the way. This podcast, as always, is supported by our friends at the Stoke City fans from all around the world Facebook group. And as always, we've got an action-packed pod once again. We'll have a brief look back at the win versus West Brom. We'll look ahead to Sheffield United this weekend, including some uh, quite extensive audio from the Sheffield camp. We've also got Radio Stoke's Graham McGarry, as always, giving his predictions. And of course, we'll discuss all the news and updates around the club this week. Okay, so firstly, Dan, I would normally ask uh, how you are, mate, but I know for a fact that you're actually not very well. So, Phil is in, mate. Is it man flu or is it something else? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I'm uh, COVID positive and, uh, yeah, suffering with it as well. It's it's not nice at all. Um, but, yeah, I've, <laughs> the last couple of days, I've um, sort of tested positive a couple of days ago. And, yeah, I got all the, the sweats and everything else, and, you know, the, uh, the headaches and that. So, fingers crossed, it'll... Uh, not you know go on to anything more serious but yeah it's not pleasant at all the whole house of uh, tested positive as well as like being a partner three kids so we're all sort of here and uh unfortunately i'm going to miss the bournemouth game as well but so luckily it is on on tv um but yeah so then to add to add to the misery it's a, a fault outside so there's no wi-fi in the area at the minute and they've um <laughs> yeah They've just they've said they won't be able to fix it until the weekend. So wonderful, <laughs> just when we needed some, keep everybody entertained. Oh, brilliant! So you're uh, no doubt a Bluetoothing off the phone hotspot in that issue. Um... Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, if you, if you hear sort of sort of any um, sort of bad connection, I do apologise. I would I'm sort of doing my best today, and then. Uh, also, if you if you think of any weird cuts, I might just be uh, taking out when I'm coughing and spluttering everywhere. Maybe <laughs> so you no, don't have mate, to listen to that. I'm sure everyone appreciates it all, and I know I, I know I certainly do. I mean, I've had a bit of a rough week myself. It's not been not not been great, but um, but yeah, no, absolutely, mate. Thank you for for sparing some time. And um, as always, guys, thank you everyone who's been tuning in recently. I mean, we'll we'll share some stats with you in, in the coming weeks, but um, we're we're literally probably not too far away from around a thousand listens. Uh, since we started this podcast I'm sure it won't take long to get there so thank you to everyone as always um, but uh, I think there's one thing before we kind of jump into the uh, bit of an overview about West Brom because it's strange it feels like West Brom was a million years ago but realistically it was 
it was two weeks ago. It just just feel like a long a long way away. But uh, before we kind of get into all that, um, for anyone who basically hasn't uh, heard it, we we did a special pod over the international break, and I really don't like international breaks, but we'll get onto that. Uh, but for anyone who hasn't actually listened to it, we did a uh, an Icelandic um, era pod now um you know i would say look after after you've actually listened to this one uh download it save it whatever you normally do with these pods but for anyone who was around during this era wants to trip down memory lane uh, obviously you know again please you, you'll, you'll enjoy it uh, for anyone who thinks that we've had a hard time in the last few years trust me listen to this pod the six years or six icelandic years that we had were some of the most up and down roller coaster years that you'll see as a Stoke fan. So if you think that we've had it bad for the last few years, trust me, we really, really haven't um, in comparison to what some of us have went through all those years ago. So uh, just as a bit of a flavour, and then I'll, I'll we'll jump straight back into the normal pod. Uh, this is a bit of an overview of what six years on the Icelandic years uh, were really all about. <laughs> in a couple of sentences, I mean, well, it was it went from the sublime to the ridiculous, didn't it? You, you could look at. Um, however many seasons there were and something happened every season, whether it was, you know, the club trying to get promoted and then failing, you know, spectacularly or, or, or dramatically at the end of the season or trying to fight off relegation, whether it was a time where we had the manager and the boardroom just at odds with each other. And it wasn't just one manager. It was, it was two or three, maybe four actually. There was players coming in and out that we'd never heard of. Um, some of them turned out to be fantastic. Some of them were just terrible. Um, players that just didn't turn up. <laughs> what can you say? It was it it wouldn't it wasn't an exaggeration to say that this if this was a Netflix documentary, you know, it could it could easily rival you know Sunderland till I die. I would say that just just absurd material. I'm sure I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in some of those boardroom meetings. Yeah, so obviously, hopefully that gives you a bit of a, a flavour, guys, in terms of that pod. I mean, I genuinely, hand on heart, that was one of my favourite pods that I think we've ever done so far. Um, so Dan, uh, like I said, mate, as you know, that's, for me, that's one of the best pods we've ever done. The most fun I think that we had, and you know, again, Liam uh, Bullock, who obviously wrote the twin with Reykjavik uh, Icelandic years book, it was great to have him on, wasn't it? You know, he was a really, really nice guy. Um, he was very knowledgeable, and I think it was a good dynamic. I don't know, I don't know what you thought about last week. Yeah, I really did enjoy it. Um, like I say, Liam, obviously, getting Liam on, obviously he's written a book, he's sort of everything, you know, everything there is to know about that era. And like I say, to have him there, and, and we could sort of throw things at him and he could sort of just elaborate on the stories that we remember or the players that we remember, and, you know, and add a bit more meat to the bones and stuff. But yeah, it was it was so good. There's, there's things that I like, you think you know everything, you think you remember everything, and then once you get into it, oh, there's so much stuff that just came flooding back, and so much stuff that you didn't even know about that obviously Liam told us about. It was really, really good. I really enjoyed doing it. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think there was, I mean, we don't want to spoil it for anyone, but there was a story around um, the kind of boss camp era and obviously how we actually went about getting that job and i'm not going to give it away i'm going to make everyone go and listen to it but there's little stories that you don't really hear much about they don't make it to the press or that you know that there'll be a slight snippet in the sentinel you know 10 years ago 15 years ago um and you, you really just miss them so if anyone wants a bit of interesting times honestly we could have spoken for hours we said after the pod didn't we dan we could have spent two three hours easily discussing that six-year period 
Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was interesting to try and condense that down to about an hour and twenty hour, hour and thirty minutes. So uh, yeah, anyway, uh, everyone who wants to check that out, please do. You will not be disappointed. And that takes us on to um, having a bit of a, a quick review of the baggies results, which, like I said, Dan, it feels like a million years ago, mate. But um, before I kind of give you my uh, ten pence first, what, what was your general thoughts about that game? Yes, what a team performance! Uh, it was just I don't, there wasn't a bad performance in amongst the eleven, was there? You know, every man knew his job. Every man went out there and performed to the mat. It was just. It was great to see a Stoke side that, you know, we're all getting behind now. You know, there was a decent crowd in, especially with it being on TV and that. And, and you know, the, the crowd are getting behind this. You know, even though we had chance after chance, missed a penalty. You can tell that the fans are buying into what the players and the manager are doing because they stuck with them. You know, if, you, if that had been Gary Rowett, Nathan Jones... And we missed the penalty. The fans would have been turning because they weren't with them, them teams, them, them players didn't give them anything to get behind. Whereas you know we are strengthening. And now we've got that twelfth man, and we've got players coming back as well. We've got good attacking players coming back. We really are in a good position. We, we they can stand tall now and say we can match anybody in this division, and we've got players to come back and strengthen us even further. I was going to say, because it felt like, as you rightly point out, the 12th man is it's interesting you mentioned that, because I was surprised, firstly, actually, how many people turn up. Because you know what it's like when a game's on TV. Um, it's very rarely is it a packed house or even even in the Premier League days. We always had great crowds in the Premier League days, but you'd always see a drop off. But uh, absolutely, mate, you know, the fans were great. Um, and normally, I, mem- I remember back in the day when Stoke was on TV, that meant a shocking performance normally. But yeah, you, you can't fault them, mate. I think... Considering we went into that game, you know, we always looked at fixtures, don't we? Kind of uh, two or three games ahead. And we've mentioned previously about, you know, Barnsley and Derby where, you know, we've got to beat them because, we're, you know, we've got the likes of West Brom coming up and we could very well lose. And obviously, you know, we dropped points against Derby um, and, you know, again, Barnsley. And we think, oh, you know, are the wheels slightly starting to come off a little bit? Are we are we maybe not as good as we think we are? And then we go and follow it up against West Brom. And as you rightly point out, we could have had two, three, four goals and, I don't think anyone watching that game, even a neutral, would have really said we didn't deserve it. So, yeah, I think the one thing that it does say to me, though, Dan, is that we need to remember that going into this season, there's going to be games where we think we should win and we don't. There's going to be games where we think we're going to lose and we don't. Um, You know, maybe the typical stoke of, you know, the West Broms, the Bournemouths, the Sheffield United, hopefully this weekend, maybe we'll go and win them and just lose the games that we were not expecting. And you know what? That That is football. That is the championship all over, isn't it? So um, I guess, was there any particular kind of player highlights that, that stood out for you? I mean, we'll move on to the man of the match uh, poll results in a second, but any particular players that stood out for good or bad reasons? Uh, well, obviously, I'll, I'll, I'll leave the names out that we're going to talk about from that poll in a minute. Um, but one I think does need mention is Jacob Brown. And I think I've seen a few people saying that they weren't impressed, they didn't think he had a good game, worst player on the pitch. I can't, I can't agree with that at all. I think he, like I said before, they all had a job to do. And he knew his job, and he was fantastic at pulling that job off. We knew that West Brom were going to pack at you, we're going to press us high up the pitch, we were trying, we're going to try and make us uh, make mistakes in defence, win the ball high up and, and make, you know, have their forward players doing the damage. So we decided 
to negate that, we'll get forward quickly. And we had Ben Wilmot, Harry Suter, putting balls into the channels. And it was Jacob Brown with his running, his pace, his work rate. And he just panicked their defenders. He turned, Their defenders got turned around, facing their own goal. Do you, do you go back to the keeper? They haven't really got an option to another outfield player. Are they going to put yeah. out for throwing? And it was because Brown was pushing and pushing and harassing them. They didn't have to sit, didn't have time. You know, if, if he isn't doing them runs, if he isn't putting that pressure on, then that ball just gets turned round and comes straight back again. And it was on... him because he, he won his throw-in after throw-in, set pieces, and it all came from that. It was very much like um, what Ricardo Fuller used to do in the Tony Pulis days. That's how Pulis used to play with Fuller once. He'd play yeah. the balls into the wings and he'd be, he'd be his task would be to win corners and win throw-ins. And that's that's how Brown played. And it doesn't matter how, what he did with the ball at his feet. His job was 95% without the ball. And it was, you know, like I say, putting that pressure on and winning us territory, if you like, further up the pitch and relieving the pressure. Yeah, and I think one thing, I, I, I definitely agree with you on that, mate. I think the one, I suppose, I don't want to look for downsides and everything. Of course not, because we, it was a fantastic team performance. But I think if we had to take one... Not criticism, but I think one area that we need to keep an eye on. I mean, Surridge, it looks like he's really struggling for a bit of confidence at the minute. And I'm not quite sure why, because he hasn't had a disastrous start to the season. But again, on another day, he could have had two or three goals. And he just seems to, I mean, if there was that there was that chance that I think, was it Timon, I think, squared it to him. And uh, he's practically passed it into the goalkeeper's arms. And it's just little things like that, which again, I suppose this is where you could say the difference may be. Surridge might be a... 10 goal a season striker but if that's Tyrese Campbell maybe even you know a Fletcher the chances are they're probably finishing them chances so I think Surridge for me it's certainly um it's nothing to really hit him over the head with too much you know he's still trying to find his feet but he's got to be careful because Tyrese is coming back um and again we'll talk about Tyrese in a minute but Tyrese is coming back we've got Fletcher you know we've got Brown who's doing well there we have options and he really needs to start hitting that net when he gets those chances. I don't think he's going to be allowed to get away with too many more and carry on starting games. So, um, and I must admit, actually, mate, one thing which people haven't mentioned um, is actually probably Powell and Tyrese up front together. Instead of forget Powell in the attacking midfield space, put him up front because he's showing at the minute that he can actually do a really good job there personally. Well, yeah, I was, I was just going to say, we can add Powell to the striking options. And obviously, yeah. we've got Steamer who's not fit either. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of competition up there. There's going to be a lot of players battling for a couple of shirts. Um, be interesting to see if there's a slight tweak to the formation when everybody's fit. You know, what does the does, uh, Michael O'Neill feel that this is still the best way to go? Um, personally, I would. I'd say, you know, don't, don't, if it's not broke, don't fix it, you know, kind of thing. Um, yeah. But obviously, it'd be interesting if you just try to shoot one, you know, an extra attacker in there by, you know, putting three up front instead of two and going like a four-three-three, maybe. Like you say, it it gives us another option, and what a great option to have for once. I mean, again, we'll we'll move on again to expectations in a minute. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but um, in terms of man of the match, Paul, I mean, normally we have three or four options, as, as you know, Dan, and anyone who who listens to the show will know we normally have just a few options. But last week. I don't, again, I was being harsh, maybe a bit on storage, but um, you know, at the same time, 
we we could literally we gave it to everyone, didn't we? And it was pretty much whoever got the most uh, likes, etc., on on the on the actual individual Twitter uh, posts was the one that would go for it. So uh, in third place, uh, Ben Wilmot came third. It was only literally by one or two votes. Uh, second, uh, won't be surprised to see is Nick Powell. Um, and then first, actually, to my surprise, I mean, I remember he had a really good game, but uh, Joe Allen came first. Um, Dan, I mean. What's your thoughts about Alan coming first? Because I think that's the first time he's he's actually finished first in any of these polls this season. Uh, yeah, that is his first uh, man of the match like um, poll victory, if you like, for us. And I think for him to be out as long as he was and come back and play that well straight off the bat, that's impressive because his energy and his work rate, he was, you know, he was snapping around in the midfield, but not... You know, he, he, we've heard accusations before, and we, you know, that you know, maybe he's a bit of a headless chicken in there sometimes, trying to do too much and doesn't actually achieve anything. He was actually doing good work rate on Friday night. You know, everything he was doing was good. It was, it was like he he knew where he needed to be, he knew the, the play to break up, and he knew the areas he could and couldn't go to, and he stuck to it. And he let other people do man their areas, and he just dominated, um, you know. And, and that midfield is, well, I said the whole team back to form we've said were, were fantastic, but he he sort of dominated that midfield and won us uh, pressure and won us so much possession in there. It's uh, real set the tone for the game. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And I think if it's between him and um, obviously uh, Sawyer's to, to come, obviously Sawyer's to come back in now because of the West Brom uh, game being out of the way. I mean, I think. Alan has to start. I think it's as simple as that. I mean, so he's just starting to get into into things at the minute. I think the last couple of weeks he's been pretty decent. But um, yeah, I think uh, again, it's it's another pro- nice problem to have. So um, yeah, overall, a very very good uh, win versus West Brom. Probably unexpected. I think we'd all probably agree. Um, but uh, let's move on to the hot kind of Stoke City news this week. Um, Dan, so well, there's a few areas that we want to obviously discuss. Um, I'll let you take the lead on this one, mate. So uh, I think the kind of first part, I think we want to discuss uh, potentially the return of Tyrese. Uh, yeah, it's nearly been 12 months since we've seen Tyrese. 12 months since he pulled on a Stoke shirt. And I remember the dread and the worry when you saw him limping off because there was, from around, there was like nobody around him, was there? When you're yeah. down and you know they're the bad ones, don't you? When your know, knees and stuff like that. And it's it's pretty much, yeah, you can tell that it's that kind of injury. Um, and yeah, to say, for, for such a young lad to be out for, like I say, a full 12 months, it sounds like it was a really bad one as well. Because I know the club never actually came out and said what it was, did they? They just said it was no. a a knee injury they never sort of identify exactly what it was so it's interesting to see you know what exactly had happened in there because like i say hopefully it's uh nothing that's going to be long lasting uh, but no. yeah but uh, we will get to see shortly i think you know any effects of that because he's he's played four games now for the under 23s and he's back he's going to be I'd have him at least on the bench. Uh, I know we'll come to the team later on for, for the weekend, but I think he's got to be in the match day squad now. He's, he's played a few games for the under-23s. He's chomping at the bit. Um, he's, I think, from what we've heard, he's sort of been going beyond where they were expecting him to be in their games as well, regarding how many minutes he's getting under his belt. So he's ready. I'm sure he's been you know, smashing it the last couple of weeks on international break, um, getting his fitness ready. 
But yeah, I mean, the thing as well for him, when he left the team last year, we sort of lost any kind of momentum, any kind of uh, forward play that we had. And I mean, it didn't help that Fletcher was, you know, never really fully fit as well. So we didn't have anything up front. Um, but now he's coming back into a team that is so much better than the team that he left. I was going to say, he'll be thinking, I just can't wait to get back in. I can't wait to be surrounded by these players who are going to provide me all this service. He's got time and, you know, crossing the balls in. He's got them playing low and drilling them in. He's got, again, Smith from the other wing get, doing exactly the same thing. He's got Vrancic behind him. He's got he's going to have a couple of the strikers. He must be literally licking his lips at the thought of, of what potentially he could kind of latch on to. And you spot on, mate. I mean, those four games, from, from what I understand, he hasn't exactly set the world alight um, and you know it's not a criticism at all because I was thinking earlier you know you, you haven't got the Powells and the Vrancic and you know that supplying you the service you know that they're under 23 players they're just, the, the quality isn't there so you can't criticise him for not scoring um, as we've always said you know those games are about getting the fitness levels up and, uh, and really just getting back to normal and I, I know what you're saying about the the match day squad, but I thought what was quite um, interesting. So Angela Smith asked uh, O'Neill today about, you know, if he'll be in the match day squad. And I know he's never going to give a, a straight answer to it, but the way in which he answered it, I, I must admit, Dan, I'd be surprised if he doesn't feature anywhere in, in the, the squad uh, for Saturday. It was, it was just the way in which he came across. I can personally see him not being in the, the match day squad for Sheffield. Um, but being back for Bournemouth, that's that's my personal opinion. It just didn't seem like he was on the uh, on the cusp for this weekend, which hopefully we won't need him. Uh, that, that'd be nice if we don't need him, of course. Yeah, I mean, it might be a, like I say we've got a lot of options up front. It might be a tactical thing because the manager knows he's got three games coming up and this, you know the next week. He's probably going to look at it and think he's not going to play all three. Where am I best utilising him? Where am I best using him? And if he thinks that's Bournemouth at home on Tuesday, and he thinks that, you know, Brown, Fletcher, Surridge, possibly Seema can get the job done um, on Saturday at Sheffield, then, yeah, he, that's what he's going to do, isn't he? And then, obviously, he can bring Tyrese in, give Brown a rest, maybe on, um, you know, about the hour mark, maybe, on, on Tuesday night. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's one of them, isn't it? What a game to bring him back in for. I mean, we all know what Bournemouth are like. They're not exactly a... Well, let's just say they love wasting time for a start. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I think they're also still quite a physical team. They've got no problem kicking a few lumps out of you, which um, obviously, you know, Tyrese is going to have to be fully fit and fully ready if he's going to be playing in that game. He's ne we need to be prepared for that. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how things go, mate. But either way, it's good to see him uh, on the way back. Um, and, uh, yeah, obviously one thing we, we do like to do, and I've got to give you full credit for, for, to you for this one, Dan. So uh, we always like to have the under-23s um, kind of overview. So looking back at a few players that are currently out on loan, and you've been an, a legend, and uh, you've been speaking to Dominic from the Hartlepool Mail, who's given us some uh, updates on Will Goodwin and Eddie Jones. So let's just have a quick uh, check-in with him and see exactly what he had to say about their performance so far this season. Hello everyone at the Every Step Along The Way podcast, I'm Dominic Skur from the Hartlepool Mail and I've been covering the progress of two Stoke City youngsters, Will Goodwin and Eddie Jones, who've been on loan at Hartlepool United in League 2 this season. Will Goodwin obviously arrived at the club slightly earlier in the summer, second game of the season in League 2, made his debut against Barrow, made an immediate impact, scoring a well-taken goal on his debut and 
really generally put in a very solid performance, which he managed to continue that level of performances for his first few games at the club, to be honest, showing real maturity, leading the line, holding the ball up, bringing his teammate into the game, grabbing a couple of assists as well. Unfortunately, since then, though, his performances, being a young player, 19 years old, have been a little inconsistent, have dropped off slightly, and he's since been dropped out of the side. Still, obviously, learning his trade, still needs to get in the right positions, know what positions to get in, and when chances do come his way, take them, because Hartlepool are in desperate need for someone who can find the net at the moment. And unfortunately, since his debut, Goodwin hasn't been able to do that. So at the moment, Hartlepool just experimenting in different players up front, seeing what could work at the moment. That means Will Goodwin has been sort of restricted to a substitute role, but could potentially in the coming games, the Papa John's Trophy, the upcoming league game against Northampton Town, could be given a chance there, whether it's off the bench or starting, in fact. So we'll see what happens there. But at 19 years old, he has shown glimpses of some real quality. It's just about getting that on a consistent basis and being able to find the net. Most importantly, he's a striker at the end of the day, but it is his first taste of Football League football, so should only improve the more games he gets. And as for Eddie Jones, who was a late, late deadline day arrival, left wing back, left left back, left centre back, whatever you want to call him, he's arrived as cover, to be honest, for a more experienced uh, wing back in David Ferguson, who, who plays pretty much every game when fit went for Hartlepool. But he has been injured the past couple of weeks and that has given Eddie Jones a chance to get his first two starts for the club. And to be honest, I'd say he's barely put a foot wrong. I've been very impressed with him. Loves a tackle, gets, gets stuck in. Positionally still maybe has a few things to learn, but comfortable on the ball, links play up very well and being able to get forward and get a couple of very good crosses into the box to create chances for his teammates. So early stages with Eddie Jones, as I say, he's only played two games, but in terms of being cover for a more experienced wing back, if you like, he's done a very solid job and it's for him, as it is for Will Goodwin, just about getting games and it, I'd question how often... Eddie Jones will be able to play throughout the season at Hartlepool, given the fact David Ferguson will come back into the team probably next week, so or even this Saturday against Northampton Town. So a solid addition, but as a squad player, whereas Will Goodwin really needs to sort of take the mantle and be the man to lead the line if he wants to really make an impact at Hartlepool this season. But all in all, two 19-year-old players, first taste of regular football league football, if you like. So, been encouraging signs. Still work to do, of course. Still very raw. I wouldn't say they're ready to step up and make an impact in, in the Stoke teams by any means this season or even next season. I think they still probably need a couple seasons worth of experience at, at a lower level in the AFL before showing the ability to really make an impact at championship level. So, plenty of work to do. Plenty of time to improve, but I think the sort of foundations are there for two very solid players who I believe can make an impact at Hartlepool this season and potentially in the future Stoke City as well in the Championship.
Yeah, lovely, Dominic. Thank you very much indeed for for the audio. It's always good to to try and catch up because you know it's one of them things. We Stoke fans, we always love to see a youth player come through. And I mean, obviously, as I said about Will, you know, he scored on his debut. The performance he's seen to have dropped off, and he's obviously been dropped out of the team a little bit. So you can kind of say that Will's struggling to find his feet a little bit uh, in terms of a few glimpses that he's been showing. But it, for me, that just kind of shows, you know, he needs to stay out on loan for a bit. He's he's clearly still got a lot to learn, but you know, again, that is the whole point of these of these under twenty three games. And you know, when you, when you look at Eddie Jones as well, Dan, I mean, again, you know, he's obviously arrived there as cover mainly uh, for quite an experienced wing back, and you know, he seems to be holding his own. Um, and you, you know, you can say that he's probably gearing himself up uh, nicely. He seems to probably enjoy that that loan so far, and um, it certainly looks bright for us, doesn't it, Dan? In terms of uh, you know the the youth players potentially coming through in the next couple of years. Yeah, and I like that there seems to be a plan with these loans as well. Like Eddie Jones said, he's, he's gone to play left wing back. He's gone to a team that we know are planning to play five at the back. Might not do every game, but that's their plan A. So he's going to be learning in the position that he's likely to come back and challenge for if he was to you know to challenge for the first team here. Um, as it happens, uh, he's, he well, didn't play last weekend for, for Hartlepool because he was actually playing for Wales under-21s. Uh, he didn't make the side like, on the weekend, but then in midweek he has uh, played against Holland. They lost 5 0, unfortunately, Wales uh, under 21s did. Um, but yeah, yeah, so I mean, we've got him, we've got Joe Basic playing for England under 21s. I mean, it hasn't really been made much of a deal of, but I remember, I don't know if it's different from when I was younger, but playing for the England under 21s was like a massive deal, it was like a, especially for like a championship player to get in there is like a bit, you know, it's, it's a big achievement. Um, well, it's one of those things, Dan, to be honest, because I mean, even League Two has international players now. It, it's almost become you can live and breathe, you can kick a ball, you're an international player. It, it feels like that sometimes to me, but yeah, sorry to, to cut you off. Yeah, because I, th- I think like England under-21s, I think is it the Saint-Étienne goalkeeper is in that squad, in the under-21 squad. And um, obviously Joe's kept him out for the, for the main game. I know obviously the, the manager swapped it round for where they played Andorra in the week. Uh, but yeah, he, he sort of got the number one jersey there, and yeah, I mean, I know they they drew two two, they were two 0 up. The, you know, the the opposition came back, scored a couple of goals um, to get a draw and that. But again, it's it's, it's good experience for him, and it, it, you know, it's good progress for him. He's still such a young lad. We need to remember that. Um, obviously, Davis looks like he's got the shirt now, as long as he keeps himself sort of inside his penalty box and not walking out with the ball. Um, he'll keep it for a while. Um, but yeah, like I say, basic. I think, like I say, Eddie Jones, basic. Um, Suter, Suter's been, been playing with Australia. Another international that you know, still a young. He's still a young lad. We forget that because of how well he's playing. Um, but he's you know he's been playing with Australia the last couple of, last couple of weeks. I mean, they beat Oman three one, lost to Japan two one. He's probably going to be at the World Cup with Australia. Looking at it, and then you know. It's only it's only out another was it another twelve thirteen months to the World Cup about this time next year. Well, I was going to say, Dan. I mean, to be fair, I was going to come to the international duty, but you know, let, let's cover it off now. I mean, I, again, I want to get your thoughts on this because my dad's probably instilled this thought into me over the years. But um, I was having a mini debate with someone the other night on Twitter about international fixtures, and um, you know, I was I was just kind of saying. 
who who really cares less about the international fixtures and obviously you know watching England. Don't get me wrong, I I really enjoy watching England. I love us in the Euros. I think it's fantastic to watch us doing so well. But I think that the main thing that really gets my back up, and I th- again I think this is my dad's influence, so I'm blaming him if anyone disagrees. But it's it's the potential for these players to get injured. I mean, if we think of if Suter and Mario. Um, just take those two alone, forget everybody else. We take those two players, if they get injured and get out for months, that is going to literally potentially cripple our season, our entire season for useless international friendlies, games that mean practically nothing um, to, to us as Stoke fans. Again, I'm being this is a selfish perspective. So uh, again, for me, I really couldn't care less about those games, especially the friendly side of things. It really annoys me when you've got about four different international breaks during a season. Um, now, I do accept that for a player with quality, they're going to most likely have international ambitions. And I, I get that. Um, and you could probably flip that on its head and say, well, Luke, those types of players, if you want the quality with those ambitions, you've got to accept that that's the kind of platform that they want to play on and just accept that that is part and parcel of of them playing for your club. Um, but, you know, Mario got a knock um, on, on his way to, I think, for, for the Bosnia game. Luckily, you know, he's, he's withdrawn himself and he'll be fine for Saturday. But um, just very quickly, Dan, I mean, what's your thoughts on this, mate? Am I am I being completely selfish or do you kind of see where I'm coming from? And you're very welcome to disagree with me. It's just, for me, I, I'm just I'm just not comfortable with internationals at all. Yeah, it's just a worry, isn't it? <laughs> it's... It's like you send off your packages and you want them coming back in one piece, you know, delivered by the Royal Mail or something. You just want it, nothing retained broken, please. Um, like I say, Mario picked up that injury against West Brom, didn't he? Which, you know, the, the, at all parties decided it was better that he stayed behind and, you know, got some treatment on that. Um, which actually the international break in that respect has probably played out well for us with him, that he's you know, been able to have a couple of weeks you know, without being, you know, do we do we stick him in for the game this week? You know, that kind of thing. You know, if we'd had a game last weekend, he probably would have been, do we risk him? Do we push him? Or, you know, and then potentially doing himself more harm. Um, but yeah, I, I do I do understand what you're saying. You, you know, you've, it's an honour and it's nice to see, you know, Harry Suter, Stoke City, uh, Joe Allen, Stoke City, Joe Bursick, Stoke City, you know, pl- playing for these teams um, on the international stage. But, at the same time, yeah, you, yeah, we, we just want them back in one piece, don't we? <laughs> yeah, because what sods law would it be for Stoke to be really fine, strong at the top, and you go and lose Suter, Mario, and uh, you know, pick another one? I mean, that would just be Stoke's luck. Um, but you know, again, you mentioned Harry Suter, and it's what, what a great time to mention the constant news that we didn't really want to hear during the week. But you, you don't know how much is this is fact. So. As all, as always, you know, he's, he's been constant noise around Harry. Um, and the fact that, you know, I think it was Everton, Villa and Spurs have all been linked again in the last week. So, Dan, I mean, in terms of Harry doesn't seem to be distracted himself. O'Neill seem, doesn't really seem to be worried either. Um, and I've got kind of three questions that I want to ask you. And I, you know, everyone at home can, can think about this as I'm going through. Um, question one, what's his value? Question two, would you sell him for that value? And question three, do you think he will go in January? Right. So, right. So, he's, his value, he's got to be a minimum of 25 million for me, at least. 
Yeah, minimum 25. Uh, I wouldn't sell him in January for any price. Uh, we are, yeah, we're going to be around there, aren't we? Around the playoffs, um, potentially around the top two in January. And I think, you know, they did a marvellous job in the summer of getting rid of players. You know, they sold Nathan Collins, used that money to pay off a lot of contracts, get a lot of people out the door, you know, and help with FFP. If nothing else, they can sort of go to the authorities and say, you know, we're doing our best with that. So I, would, I wouldn't sell because I think if he's out of this team, then I think it, it affects our chances of going up massively. And if yeah. you do go up, you're looking at 100 million plus, aren't you? So why would you sell him for anything less than that? I was going to say, because you're saying it's worth 25 million. But let's just say Spurs come in in January and offer you 30 million quid. That is a big decision for the club to make. I agree with you totally. In 100%, I wouldn't sell him for any number uh, this January. But if the club, I mean, we, we got our fingers burnt with, with obviously Begovic at one point. He was playing at the height of his game. We had 20-odd million quid offer for him. And he went for, what was it, half a million, a million quid in the end? So much stupid oh, like Butland. that. Oh, sorry, but I don't know who I said, but yeah, Butland, sorry. Um, so, yeah, they've had the fingers burnt once. Um, if someone offered 30 million quid, I know FFP isn't a big deal. And I don't know, it'd be interesting to see what they did. I agree with you in the fact that he's, he's going to go. Either he goes at the end of the season because we don't get promoted and don't think anybody would have an issue with that if we're talking 25 million plus. Um, but I think, to let him go in January with, as you said, a hundred million pounds worth of promotion uh, money on, on offer, and the chance for him to play in the Premier League with Stoke, I think it'd be a very short-sighted decision because his value is not going to drop enough between January and the end of the season for me to warrant selling him. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll see what happens, mate. But I I think I agree. I don't think we can sell him for any price in January, can we? Really. No, I mean, contract-wise, he signed a four. He's still got four years left on his contract, hasn't he? That he signed yeah. at the start of the year. That's the key. Like I say he's dropping from four to three in the summer. He's still got three years. It's not like he's going into the final 12 months or even the final two years where you, know, you can start getting itchy that the fee's going to start coming down. He's still got three years left. If any club wants him, they're going to have to pay big money. And I think Stoke hold all the cards here. He seems like a pretty level-headed um, lad, he, he seems to have his head screwed on. He knows as well that Stoke and Michael O'Neill have done have panned his career fantastically from the low moves he's had, the experience he gained there. He went to the right clubs, worked with the right coaches. He's come in, he's been captain of this side, you know, in the, the absence of you know Joe Allen, and he's played. You know, he's now the linchpin and the centerpiece of this this side. His performances have made him that, but it's the opportunity and the gradual progression that the club have done. He's We've done enough to, for him to trust us when it comes to saying to him, end of the season, Harry, you know, stick around another six months and then you can you know, choose what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think Spurs are probably the only team that you could look at and go, OK, you could understand him maybe wanting to consider somebody like that. You know, they are still a big club. I know they're having, they're not exactly, you know, having an amazing season or an amazing few years, but you could understand that. Villa and Everton, no, sorry. He he, he can do better than that. Um, even in January, he could do better than that. So I think Spurs are the only one who probably could add any value at all for him. But no, totally agree, mate. And I think one other play, you talked about contracts. I mean, Nick Powell, we all know about the fact that he's he's kind of, coming towards the end of that and you know again 
player player of the month um, again. So three goals in four games during September. And I tell you what, mate, some cracking goals to boot as well. I mean, you know, we all know the free kick against Hull. That was that was spot on. But I don't know about you, and I think a goal that for me, I don't think enough was made of it. I'm trying to remember who was it against now, but um, the header uh, away from home. I think Tymon lofted it to the back post, and he's just he's headed the ball, but it's kind of looped and bent into the into the corner. I mean, absolute class uh, again. And I mean, he, he needs a new contract for me. Um, and I know that Stoke have the automatic option in terms of extension and bits like that. And I can only think the reason we haven't extended it is because we want to, um, sorry, extend it for the year. Is I think we probably want to extend it for maybe another three or four. It's the only thing I can think about it. But um, I think there was a report I saw the other day about it being triggered this winter. Either way, we're going to do it. So, is there any particular reason you think that Stoke haven't extended it yet, Dan? Because I'm a little bit confused, and unless it, unless again it's an FFP particular situation, that could possibly be it, couldn't it? That that is the only thing I can think of why they would be delaying on it, because how much is it, how much money is it going to cost to replace Nick Powell, a player in his prime, probably the best player, yeah, one of the best playmakers in this division, and we and we are risking losing him for a free maybe but like I say I think we're definitely going to trigger that extra 12 months they're not going to say to him oh yeah on your, on your bike Nick maybe it's because he has he's had a lot of injuries in his career hasn't he he's missed a lot of games and he's maybe sometimes you know took a knock and taken longer than they've expected to come back and you wonder whether because he's got this you know, are they saying to him, well, you need to prove that you're playing the games and then we'll give you the deal? It could do, it could be that. It could be keeping him motivated to, to putting his body on the line a bit more than he, than he's used to doing. Um, you know, playing through little bits of pain barrier in there that he gets. Maybe I don't want to stir the pot, Dan, but could it be the fact that Powell doesn't want to sign a contract? Could it be? I mean, we don't know what his agent said. Maybe his agent said calls off Newcastle United and... I don't know, Everton and Villa, let's just use them examples. If he's had, you know, rumours of somebody like that, maybe he's thinking, well, I don't actually need to extend my contract. Uh, yeah, if Stoke want to extend it for another year, fine, whatever. But could it be as simple as that? Maybe Powell doesn't want to stay? I think we would have heard something if that was the case. Agents are very good at making everybody aware that that's, that, you know, especially a player like Nick Powell, like I said, there, there he's, he's approaching his prime. If his agent's in his ears, you wouldn't, you know, that's is that the agent's job? Yeah. You know, to, to point out that this, you know, this could be his, his big contract, his last big contract. Is he, does he want to sign it and spend the next three or four years at Stoke, taking him into his early 30s, or does he want to see what options are out there? Knowing full well that if nothing else was there, you can always turn around to Stoke and they'll say, yeah, we'll, have, we'll keep you. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think, as I say, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens, mate. I think, as you said, one of two things will happen. We'll either sign a new contract or we'll have a one-year extension and then we'll have to just keep our fingers crossed in, in the summer. But it'd be interesting to see how a, a, a Premier League Nick Powell will do. I mean, we've all... I know he went to United and that was kind of a write-off. He didn't really do much there, but in fairness, he probably didn't get much of a chance. And I think, I think United was always too big for Nick Powell if I'm honest with you, mate. And I don't want to be disrespectful to him, but I think he he was not ready for Man United. That was a really strange transfer. Um, but I think it'd be interesting to see how he'd actually cope in the Premier League. Uh, I mean, as a player of his quality, you think with more space and more time, 
he would do really well. But hopefully time will tell. <laughs> That's what we want anyway. Yeah, I think in the Premier League, like you say, he'd have more time. I think the Manchester United deal was... He was only he was a teenager once here. He he'd come off this season for crew where he played week in, week out, top scorer in the division, scored the winner in the playoff final at Wembley. And then all of a sudden it's like bang, you're in the reserves every week. And I think obviously he stepped up three divisions and in essence, three divisions in the league ladder, but then in the Premier League, he stepped up right to the top end of the Premier League. I think what wasn't he one of Alex Ferguson's final signings at Manchester United as well? Yes, I think he was. Sort of a gift, sort of a gift for David Moyes, um, and obviously then, yeah, look, look at what they've done since Ferguson left. You know, he's, he probably had a very, bit, a bit of a turmoil and traumatic time that the club was going through. It, the sacking managers, and you know, not struggling to adapt without Ferguson there, and that probably didn't help him either. No, no, I say, mate. I mean, hoping, hoping, you know, again, we get, we get promoted and we'll get a chance to see it. And uh, you know, it's what it's, you know, it's like with these contracts. Maybe now it's more of the case of if I get promoted, then this is going to be my salary. If I go up, this is going to be my bonus. You just don't know, do you? I mean, again, as you said, if this is his last big potential payday, he's going to want as much in there, and you can't blame the guy for it. So um, let's see what happens. Whether it's Stoke, whether it's him. Um, let's just hope however it happens he just extends and I think one guy that we've you know we've given a lot of credit to this season as well Dan is is Josh Timon so I saw a stat again in the week you know for me he's been absolutely sensational Um, you know again no championship player has created more goal scoring chances from open play uh, via a cross than him in the entire division Um, and that's only in the first 11 games mate I mean Again, was he got left a year? I think Timon has, or he's in his last year. Um, surely giving him a contract is a formality. And again, I don't think he would want to go anywhere else personally. Yeah, I think he's another one that he they need to get the deal tied down. And the fact that there is a lot of these, like say, players, a lot of contracts that need to be renewed. I think wasn't there a stat last summer that there's not a single player who's 23 or over that's under contract as of this summer? Something stupid like that, yeah. Yeah, obviously barring anybody that we signed uh, last summer. Sure. But yeah, it's it, it's yeah, it's it's interesting that there's not really been much news on a lot of these contracts, and there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of people who, like you say, they're going to need renewing in that. It could be that what division we're in. You know, is it, they, if we, it could be that we want them in the Championship, but we don't want them in the Premier League, or vice versa. Mm. You never know. Um, you, don't, you know, the club now seems to be building and planning more, and you know, there's more long-term structure in place, and maybe that's part of it. Well, exactly. I we'll just mate. have to wait and see where we go. I think you're one Sorry. thing that people have been happy to to hit uh, Tony Scholes over the head with was giving four five-year contracts to players that they in the end didn't work out and you know weren't right I mean he's been hit over the head with that so many times and maybe that's in the back of his mind like I really can't take too much more flack off these fans it could be somewhat as simple as that so yeah again hindsight is always a always a great thing but I'm with you Matt I think timing for me deserves at least a couple of years extension um, I'm sure you know he's, he's caught the eye of a couple of players and a couple of clubs but at the same time Josh knows that it was down to O'Neill um, that he's still got a, uh, a career 
in quite a high division because let's be honest, he hadn't exactly set the light, uh, the world light when he came in. Um, he wouldn't have proved himself at all. If Josh was going to go anywhere without this form from this season, it would not have been in the championship. You know, it would have been back down to a League One, League Two level. So he, he knows he, he owes a lot to Stoke City and a lot to O'Neill. So I don't really think he's going to be going anywhere anytime soon at all. Um, so, yeah, again, all those players that we've mentioned, you know, your Timons, your Suters, your your Powells, they, they've all got um, a lot of a lot of credit in the bank. They've got a lot of um, a lot of thanks from a lot of Stoke fans so far. Again, we're only 11 games into it. And you know what, Dan, I was looking this up earlier on, mate. The last time that we had this many points after 11 games um, was actually back in 2001 when good John Thorison led us to the promotion via the playoffs. So hopefully that's a good omen, mate. Um, 21 points in 11 games. And um, again, Dan, it, this actually kind of br- brings me on and then we'll, we'll kind of march on to Sheffield, I think. But um, again, Angela Smith in the uh, the press conference today asked O'Neill around, you know, pressure and you know, pressure in the club and pressure on him and, and stuff like that to keep kind of marching on. And I think, do you think O'Neill's under pressure? Because in a way, if he doesn't get the top six spot this season... I think I'm pretty. Sure, I'm sure you'd agree with me. It's it's almost unforgivable not to get a top six this season. And I could be going too far ahead of myself here, but surely we can't accept any lower than sixth, which puts him under a great deal of pressure to to get this right. Yeah, and it's it's funny though, isn't it? That if we look back to the summer, nobody would have had us near the top six, or well, very few people would have said we have to be in the top six this season it was all probably about you know building on last year's getting in and around the playoffs and hopefully sneaking in there with a bit of luck you know keeping people um fit and you know getting people like Tyrese back fit stuff like that keeping Suter fit Powell fit but the he's now built himself into a position where we've got to succeed higher um and I think that's sort of you got you got to a testament to the manager there that he's exceeded all our expectations massively um, yep. so far this season. And you know, he's he's now put himself, he's sort of dug himself a bit of a hole <laughs> in that we've got to continue pushing on. Um and like I say, get get into them top six and you know, consolidate our place there and possibly even push for top two. I mean, like I say, we beat West Brom, they're gonna be in and around the top two. We've got players still to come back. We've got a young side. And th- this is the thing as well. The the quality and the experience and then the you know the know-how of our side in August, it's going to be completely different come May because they are such a young side. They'll have gained so much during this year. They'll become so much better players by playing 40-odd games in the Championship as the season progresses that we should be even better come May time. We should be getting better and better as the season goes on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. I think Bournemouth and I say I would have put Fulham into this mix a few years. I think I think you know a few weeks ago Fulham would have been in the mix for the top two, and I think they probably still will be. But um, for me, Bournemouth look absolutely brilliant this season. The, the bits that I've seen from them, um, I've seen a couple of extended highlights of their games um, un- unintentionally, I will add. But you know, again, that they look they look pretty decent. So, um, but again, like I said earlier on the pod, if Stoke 
typical, typical Stoke turn up. We'll beat Sheffield United and we'll beat Bournemouth and then we'll lose at home to or away to Millwall, I think it is, in a few weeks. I need to look at the fixtures again. But, you know, it would be so typical of Stoke. But um, either way, mate, let's ride this roller coaster. I used the word roller coaster at the beginning. Uh, it is very much that. We're going to have good and bad times this season. So let's see how things go. Um, and again, in terms of the, the kind of bits that I, I mentioned, I... So, yeah, and I put a poll out on uh, on Twitter as well. So for anybody who hasn't uh, followers on there, make sure you do so at every step along. I put a, a post out about 24 hours ago now, and, uh, well, almost 200 of you have uh, voted already. So uh, it was basically, so you're the manager. So put yourself in Michael O'Neill's shoes, and FFP dictates that you can only keep one of the following players. Who would you choose and why? Um, so the this, this again, I could have listed so many players here. So uh, a list four, uh, we had Powell, Tymon, Suter, and Campbell. Now I thought Tymon was probably a bit of a, a stretch considering he's only had a, 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 you know eleven good games uh, for us. But um, Powell, Suter, and Campbell was very meaty, and some of the comments we've had are great. So um, so far there's still an hour and a half left, but. Um, in actually in joint uh, third, well, yeah, sorry, it's just changed again. Correction. So um, we've got Powell and Campbell both on 29% in terms of who you would keep. Timon's on 2%, and Suter is starting to race ahead now, actually, at 40%. So um, the majority of people would keep Suter, but I must admit, you know, Dan, there's there's been some um, quite brilliant comments off people. I mean, Carl Podmore. Uh, again, he pretty much reiterated what I thought. You know, it says basically tough one that it's got to be out of Powell and Suter for me. We've managed without Campbell now for a while. Be nice to have him back though. Timon's been class this season, but again, we've done without him in the past. Suter and Powell have both been key to the last two seasons. Uh, Christian Clues, uh, Campbell due to his potential. Uh, same could be said about Suter, but goals win you games. Uh, SCFC Mick, creativity and goals are so hard to buy. When you have them, you safeguard them. Powell for him. And then we've got uh, Kyle, also known as uh, Stoke Gaffer on uh, on Twitter. Uh, so it's got to be Powell if we're talking this season. Powell will be the hardest to replace. Lose him in that's 10 to 15 goals out the team. The others, while very impressive, we can get a lot more money uh, due to their ages. And 10 to 15 goals um, from midfield is what he generally meant. You know, Campbell could uh, match that, obviously, when he returns. And then uh, final one is from uh, Jeb75. So he's chosen Campbell. Uh, goal scorers are plenty, but 20-plus goal scorers are rare. He's one of those, dare I say, he's a cross between a Steen and a Fuller. He doesn't need chances made for him. He's destined for the Premier League, either with us or with somebody else. Hopefully with us. So some very interesting comments there, Dan. What, what's your thoughts? Yeah, well, I think Josh Timon, um, I would... I'd, I'd sell him. Not, I'm not saying I would sell him, but in this scenario, <laughs> I'd sell him purely because we've got sort of Alfie Doughty there who can come in. I've been really impressed with when I've seen him. So I know there's not going to be a big drop off there. Tyrese Campbell, like has been mentioned in them comments then, we've done without him for a while. And as much as I can't wait to get him back in the team, we have shown that we can play and win, win big games without him which leaves a toss-up between Nick Powell and Harry Souter. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a tough one. Uh, I think Souter's more long-term. If we if we can get Nick Powell signing a long-term contract, then we'll keep Powell. Like I say, he's midfield. He can play up front, play in midfield. He's got goals, assists. Yeah, it says the forward play 
it is the difficult thing. And I think we have got um, central halves as well, haven't we, who can come in. Um, I know we've got, I say, a few, three, like three central halves, haven't we, on, in the in reserve who can come in. And then there's a couple of young lads out on loan as well, um, including, I think, is it Connor Taylor, who is getting rave reviews, who's sort of been touted as the sort of next Harry Suter in that sort of mould. Yeah. Um, so we've got that sort of coming through. So, yeah, I'd I'd keep Powell. That'd be, he'd be mine. Uh, the guy I'd be keeping. Yeah, no, exactly, mate. I think everyone's got fair, fair assumption. I think that there's, there was a general theme you know, around the Suter and the Campbell and, and all that, but um, hopefully it's not a problem uh, that we're going to have to face in the real world, of course. So, uh, yeah, OK, lovely. Well, um, as I say, that was very much your Stoke City news. Plenty of it again this week, plenty of talking points. Uh, let's look ahead to Sheffield United very quickly. So uh, we always like to get the head-to-head stats. I think that's one of my favourite topics um, in the pods. So um, in our last 11 fixtures versus Sheffield, we've had very much basically been on top for the majority. So uh, Stoke have won six, drawn three and lost two of the last 11 meetings. Uh, and that, to be fair, that said, actually, when you look at the recent fixtures, um, it hasn't been so rosy as much as we have still got the upper hand. So I think recent fixtures, we drew 2-2 at home in our last match in 2019. Uh, we lost 2-1 away the time prior to that. And the last time we beat them away was in uh, basically well, a few years ago now, but it was winning 3-0 um, in the promotion season. Uh, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, mate. Can you think of any players who would have scored in that 3-0 win? I was actually just thinking through my head then to see, and I think it was, I think James Beattie got sent off for Sheffield United and Cresswell, Lawrence, and, oh, it would be the third one. I don't know. Um, Yeah, me either, mate, to be honest. Uh, I I don't know. Uh, So I'm just just winding you up. Uh, No, actually, I I do remember. um, (laughs) Sorry, I had to get that in there. Sorry. Um, Yeah, so it was Creswell and Shawcross. I know know they scored for sure. 100%, I I think. I'm pretty sure they did. Um, I'm trying to remember that that third player, to be honest. But, um, yeah, sorry, mate. I I I should have pulled your leg. Um, And no, Dan, Alan and Klukas were not in the the, the team (laughs) that day. And... To be fair, I think anyone who listens to the pods know, knows uh, knows what I'm referring to there. Um, and then just finally, one, one final stat from that. So Sheffield United start of the season has been um, a little bit ropey, to say the least. I mean, they've only won three of their 11 games. And, you know, they've conceded 16 goals to our 11. So, um, yeah, they haven't had the, the greatest of, of starts, Dan. I mean, what, what I mean, again, we'll go into your predictions in a minute, but what's your thoughts on those particular stats? I mean, I know when we say the last 11 fixtures, I mean, how many times have we actually played them in recent times, realistically? Not many, to be honest, but still, um, interesting stats nonetheless. Yeah, um, the thing as well is that I think that 2-2 home draw uh, was the last game of the season as well. And I think we'd we'd already um, we'd already sort of our season filtered out, and they'd already been promoted at that point. Mm-hmm. So again, there's nothing. I think like the draw that away game at Sheffield United earlier that season is probably the only one since 2007 that's you know a, a game that you can take any real relevance from. 
Yeah, exactly, mate. It's like it's a little bit like the um, again. We always like to give stats because obviously it's still relevant, but it's a bit like on match of the day when they said, "Oh, you know, Stoke haven't won in such and such a place since 1985," and it's like well, one place there twice. <laughs> it's it's kind of it's kind of one of them situations, isn't it? So yeah, absolutely. But I think we've only played them, I think, two or three times in the last few years. So um, hardly much to, to kind of go by. And like I said, I don't think there's there's any players uh, that were playing from there. So we'll go into that basically on, on, on this season's form pretty much. But the main one for me is, you know, they're conceding 16 goals to our 11. So we are obviously a lot better at the back and they're a lot worse at the back. So um, again, they've very much been a team who have, have struggled. They, they did a, they're doing a stoke basically. You know, when we first came down, you know, they're, they're very much doing that type of situation uh, for me. You know, again, they seem to have uh, a team that are a little bit disjointed and uh, we'll get some really good audio from, from Sheffield in a second. But um, I think one uh, bit that I like to, to listen to, uh, Dan, especially because you love to copy him, mate. Uh, so Graham McGarry, um, as, as we know, Radio Sticks, Graham McGarry, or Mystic Gary, as, as I like to call him. Um, he's uh, on a bit of a good run for accurate guesses this season. And I do hope he's sticking a tenner on each week. Um but uh, yeah, let's have a quick listen to see what Graham McGarry's had to say uh, and see what his predictions are this week. Hi there, everybody. We're back with the Potters prediction after that little break through the international games that have been played. I hope you've enjoyed them, but there's nothing better than the EFL kicking off once again. And what a game for Stoke City. To one of the most passionate, greatest atmospheres in the Football League, they go next to Bramall Lane. It's a, a real intriguing game, this one. Stoke in good form, really sh- catching the eye and doing well. And also coming up for me with my Potter's predictions. Now, this is tough because I always like Sheffield United. I love the atmosphere. I love the singing from the fans. But it's a great opportunity for the Stoke fans to out-sing them. They're sold out and I think they're going to be coming back home feeling pretty happy. Sheffield United 1, Stoke City 2. Graham, thank you very much for that, mate. I was going to go for a 2-1 prediction uh, as well. So, oh, what uh, a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that um, I'll probably be right this week. Uh, I always am right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, I was going to say, mate, it's um, it's going to be a tough game, I think, overall, isn't it, Dan? I'm pretty sure you'd agree with me there, mate. There's not it's not going to be a game where we turn up and either win or lose 2 or 3-0. I, d- I don't think it's going to be like that at all. Um, but uh, but yeah, what's your predictions for this week, mate? You going for a win, or you got us down as to lose, maybe? I want to, I want to say we'll win, but I, I I think I do think it'll be like a one-all draw. I think they've had two weeks where they've been able to sort of regroup and go again, and maybe you know put put the wrongs right if like from what's happened for them so far this season, and they'll probably be chomping at the bit to go out there and you know show that there's there's changing attitude if nothing or whatever it is that's been holding them back um so i think it'll be a really tough game because obviously you know we've, we've they've still got quality players they were a premier league side right the last year they haven't lost a lot um so yeah i, I think we'll go for what i'm going to go for one or myself um yeah okay. that's gonna be my prediction one all okay cool and who's gonna get the goal for stoke mate i'm gonna put you on the spot uh nick powell Oh, yeah, don't blame me, mate. Fair enough. Um, yeah, my two one. Um, I'm gonna go for Mario and Suter. Actually, uh, I think they're a bit uh, weak on set pieces. Um, to be fair, Sheffield, from what I've seen, 
So, uh, yeah, let, let's, let's go with those two. Um, and, you know, speaking of, obviously, uh, Sheffield, like we've always liked to do, we'd like to get the opposition's uh, kind of perspective. So Mark and David from the Sheffield United podcast, the Tufty Club, which I think is a brilliant little name for a podcast, uh, the Tufty Club. Uh, so they're going to see and obviously fill us in in terms of what should, what we should obviously expect this weekend um, and some very interesting uh, thoughts on the results, which I actually didn't quite uh, see coming, to be honest. So let's have a quick listen in terms of what they both had to say. Hello, we're from the Tufty Club podcast, the nonsensically named Sheffield United podcast. I'm Mark, and this is David. Good evening. So what is our progress? I mean... I I, I suppose, like, if you're looking at it as a Stoke fan or a neutral, it's been a disappointing season. When you look at West Brom and Fulham right near the top, we're in the bottom half. It's, It's been a disappointing season, but not totally... Unexpected. I know that's a weird thing to say when you everyone had us pegged as being a top six team, but I don't think we were going to turn. I mean, Stoke have seen this. Stoke fans have seen this stuff, and they came out of the Premier League, and everyone expected them to go back up with a you know expensive squad, lot of you know on paper good players. But it's quite hard to kind of arrest that you know that that's that sort of slide and that decline, and and especially when you've changed the manager, you've changed the playing style, and we haven't got players that can play that playing style. And we did because yeah. we, we had no we had, we had no preseason. We effectively the first five six games were our preseason. We managed to. We did see some some shoots of light when we went on a five game unbeaten run and beat the the giants like Peterborough, Hull, and Derby. Uh, but then as soon as we started playing good teams again, we uh, we lost again. You, you're expecting some sort of insight and analysis about how we play formation and. Well, our manager didn't know for the first sort of six, seven games, did he? He was just, he was just chucking anything at it to begin with. And we seem to have settled down on something, but it's not quite clicked, has it? No, I mean, I mean, the, the, the style of play, we, we've obviously gone to the this kind of uh, almost like three up front, but it's more like one up front with Sharp and a couple of wide players, but they're not really traditional wide players. You've got Osborne or, you know, and Dye, and then you've got Gibbs White. I Osborne's more of a, a, a battling midfielder. Gibbs White's probably more of a number 10. So they're kind of being put into positions that aren't really there. So he, he likes wingers, but we haven't got any wingers, which is a slight problem. Yeah, we've got... It's kind of a 4-2-3-1, would you say-ish, around that that he's playing. Yeah, and something like that. So basically, he needs, he needs wingers and, attack, and an attacking midfielder and just one striker. Unfortunately, you've just mentioned it. We've got zero wingers at the club, one or two attacking midfielders, and about thirty strikers. So he's he's kind of gone about it the wrong way, really, hasn't he? He should have looked at what he's got and then took it from. When we when we do get going, and and it has clicked a few times. And Dave, who's the lad from the academy that sort of plays the number ten role, sort of just behind the striker, he sort of interchanges with Gibbs White, who's out wide right, and them two have been this. When they hit form, we've looked pretty good, and when it all works, we've looked decent going forward but we seem to take like 10 or more passes sideways back and forth working it out wings to even potentially maybe at push make a chance all teams have got to do to get a chance against us is just two balls forward and you're in one-on-one i think you've summed it up we're trying to play out from the back the keeper will start it play these little passes now and again we'll, we'll beat beat the press and, and we like get in and you think wow what football but Majority of the time, we piss about it at the back, lose it, and then teams are in on us. And as you say, it takes us ages to get to the other end to do something because we haven't got the pace and the power to 
break through like probably as Fulham and Watford teams did um, on the other end. So there's various ways you can beat us. Uh, yeah. Know, I think they talk about our weaknesses, isn't there? Either just whack it over the top and get us turned with one pass, the long ball over top through middle, set plays or cross us. So pretty much get it in the box and you'll have a chance. Literally, the only, any way that you can think of to create a chance, we're pretty susceptible to it. But they're the main ones. Di- fairly direct methods, basically. Direct passing through us or just getting it in box. It's weird, though, isn't it? Because you look at the defence and they've got a Swedish international goalie who's been a bit dodgy so far, but he's still a, you know, he's an international goalie. You know, you've got you've got Boldot, who's, you know, a good fullback. You've got Stevens, or right, dipped off form. You've got Egan, you've got the lad from uh, Liverpool, Davis. On paper, they're all very good individually, but it's just not working. They're giving too many goals away, but I think it's probably in front of them where the issues are with the midfield. No protection at all for the for the back line. We just get run through. So if you've got power and pace in your middle, in your midfield, you'll, you'll have a field there. As you say, they've started well. I think they're going to do well still this season. One of the surprises of the season, I, I had them pegged for sort of mid, mid-table in my predictions. I just, I just thought they didn't quite have enough quality and probably enough goals at the top of the field. Um, but actually, they, yeah, they've started the season well. And I think if you get organised and you get played in a certain way, you, 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 can, you can get in the top six. I mean, outside of possibly West Brom, Fulham and Bournemouth, the division is, is wide open, really. Yeah, and I did actually think I think they had a good start, a good like a few wins in a row and stuff like that. Like basically opposite to us, they started well, and then and then I think they had a few, you know, draw loss win, you know, like dropped a few, and I thought, oh, this is you know they're going to sort of drop like you. I thought possibly mid table, but then you, yeah, you can't argue with beating West Brom, can you? You can't argue with that going into international break, can you? So yeah, I think I think they probably will stick up that sort of playoff area. What's your prediction for for this this weekend? Um, I think yeah, I think it's going to be we're going to concede a couple certainly. Um, I think probably Stoke could win two one. I'm going to be a bit more positive than you. I think um, the last game we played against Bournemouth, I thought we played really well actually, we're, and we're very unfortunate to to lose that game with decisions and things didn't quite drop for us. Uh, I'm going to go two all. <laughs> One more goal than you. Yeah, yeah, a bit more, a bit more positive. I think you were building up something there, and yeah, yeah. just a bit less negative. Well done. Yeah, definitely, I think. Yeah, I think it'll be two old or Key will be keeping uh, keeping Crouch out. I think and uh, Rory Delap's throws. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mark David, thank you very much um, indeed from the Sheffield United Tufty Club uh, podcast. Much appreciated. And guys, every time I say that, I can't say it without smiling. So I don't mean it disrespectfully. I just I think it's a great name for a podcast. So, uh, yeah, interesting thoughts. So, again, it's obviously a lot to kind of pick through. I mean, guys, uh, you know, you did a, a, an absolutely fantastic overview. Um, unfortunately, we can't fit it all in to this pod. But, um, yeah, they basically just kind of they're, – they're quite interested uh, how they said in terms of their start because they – Unlike a lot, like a lot of Stoke fans, when we first came down, you know, we thought, oh great, we're going to have got a fantastic squad, we're going to bounce back up, uh, and they didn't actually think that that was the case. You know, they were expecting to maybe have a couple of struggles, and um, like I said earlier, you know, they sound like we did when when we first came down in terms of, you know, they're not sure what their best team is, and the team isn't very settled. They're doing a bit of tinkering around with obviously which is the best. Uh, formation and, and play for them um, and I thought it was quite interesting as well and I think I may have mentioned it in my prediction just but um, their their kind of weaknesses um, are very much at set pieces 
Uh, now that's going to work really nicely for us, I think, if we've got uh, Mario on, on kind of full tilt and again with our height and our, our set pieces, I think that's really where we could capitalise this weekend. And um, interesting how they said as well, Dan, about um, kind of overplaying um, a lot, so you know not moving things through you know the the midfield and attack quickly. Again, it feels almost a carbon copy of Stoke when we came down. It was not knowing how to break teams down. So I think they're going to find themselves in a very similar situation. Um, and both of them, obviously, as I said, gave their predictions. So one thinks that we will win 2-1, uh, and I think the other chap says 2-2 um, as well. So it looks like, Dan, that we have uh, them running scared, um, as we do for the rest of the division. So, uh, yeah, again, thank you very much for the overview. So um, we also asked, obviously, for a fan prediction uh, this week in terms of uh, what everyone thinks the scores will be. So um, 5% thought that she excuse me, Sheffield United would win. 29% uh, think that it'll be a draw and 67% think that Stoke will win. So um, to say that the uh, supporters' confidence um, is high would probably be a bit of an understatement, don't you think, Dan? Yeah, I mean... I was surprised it was like say five percent. That's all. What one in twenty thought Sheffield United had, um, you know, were going to win the game. Uh, that surprised me how low that was. But I think, yeah, it's uh, we're, we're riding the crest of a wave now, aren't we? And we've just got to remember, this is the championship. And you said earlier on, didn't you? you know, you'll win games, you'll lose games. You, know, it is what it is. This this league, you're not going to go undefeated. You're not going to lose. You're going to, you know go on 10, 15 matches unbeaten runs, unless you're a really special side or you have a really lucky run, Jeremy. And, you know, there's not much between a lot of sides. And we, we, you know, we've got to be, we've got to be on it. Otherwise, we'll come unstuck. Yeah, absolutely will, mate. Um, and I guess before I uh, kind of let you go, um, let's think about kind of teams for, for Saturday. So I'm not expecting personally uh, major turnarounds um, at all, to be honest. I mean, I'm going to put my on, you know, neck on the block and, and, and say that Tyrese Campbell won't be in the matchday squad. Uh, I don't think so. I think he'll travel, but I don't think he'll be in the squad. Um, I'm not really expecting any dramatic changes. I definitely think Alan will stay in. I don't think Sawyers is going to come back. Um, I think it's going to be pretty much an unchanged team. Uh, what's your thoughts, Dan? Are you expecting many changes? Um, no, I think yeah, I think as long as Vrancic is recovered and is able to start, then I think we'll probably keep the same side. Probably keep similar tactics as well. You know, we'll get the ball uh, forward quick and use Brown's pace. Um, like I say, get some set pieces, especially if that's what they are struggling with. Then that's you know, that's we've got to play to. Got to play to our strengths, but we've also got to be, you know, trying to exploit their weaknesses. And it just so happens that one of our strengths is, you know, the set piece delivery and, you know, getting free kicks, corners, and uh, it appears their weakness, you know, weakness in the blades is is defending them. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And you can guarantee that O'Neill and team, uh, they know all about that. You can guarantee that they've got stats galore and have watched multiple videos. So uh, let's keep everything crossed. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm feeling confident. I, I really am feeling confident for the weekend. Uh, I definitely don't think we'll lose. If we lose, it won't be by our own design, I don't think. Um, so fingers crossed uh, we come away with, uh, with a win. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I think that kind of wraps up the uh, the pod for this week, guys. So um, just as a, again as a reminder, um, make sure you check out the uh, the pod from last week, uh, the Icelandic years. Again, it was definitely my favourite pod uh, since we uh, since we started that up. Um, and as always, we're back every week seven a.m. on uh, Friday. And if you enjoy this pod, uh, then again, make sure that you share this with your friends and family. It's always nice. Uh, to, to get everybody else involved and make sure you give us a follow on uh, on Twitter as well. So, um, yeah, it just leaves me to say, uh, Dan, thank you very much for your time. Well done for getting through the um, obviously the, the network issues with having no Wi-Fi. Uh, well done for making it through uh, having been COVID-ridden uh, illness. Um, thank you again for your thoughts and uh, you know feelings on how we're going to be this weekend. Yes, uh, it's been a pleasure. And apologies to anybody if I have my... Um ramblings a bit tonight um but yes uh looking forward to the match on saturday go on stoke yeah fingers crossed see you soon guys bye-bye away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.